Welcome to Sound Lore, the official podcast of Indiana University's Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology, where we sound off about recent scholarship, ideas, and current happenings from the fine folks who have crossed paths with our department. I'm Jeremy Reed, and on today's episode of Sound Lore, I'm joined by Caroline Miller to chat with two department alumna and one current student, Dr. Christina Downs, Dr. Meredith McGriff, and Jesse Fivecoat, to talk about their recent edited volume, Advancing Folkloristics, which was published in August 2021 through Indiana University Press. If you've been around the department in recent years, you undoubtedly are familiar with our esteemed guests, but for the newcomers, Dr. Christina Downs was recently announced as Secretary Editor and Executive Director of the Texas Folklore Society, housed at Tarleton State University, where she is also an Assistant Professor in the Department of English and Languages. Dr. Meredith McGriff is Membership Director of the American Folklore Society and co-founder of Hoosier Films. She's also the author of The Michiana Potters, Art, Community, and Collaboration in the Midwest. And Jesse Fivecoat is a doctoral candidate in folklore here at IU. During his time here, he has been deeply involved in student-led work to account for the state of folklore as a discipline and find ways to shift the needle, well represented in the volume that we're discussing today. Notably in 2018, he received the department's Dorsen Dissertation Prize. Our host today is Caroline Miller, a doctoral candidate in our department, recently returned from a fieldwork trip to Ireland where she has been continuing dissertation research with Irish traveler communities. Take it away, Caroline. All right, thanks, Jeremy. So starting out, how did you come to write this book? I know, you know it was uh, predicated on the future of American Folkloristics Conference. So I guess maybe start with a little bit about how that became a thing. <laughs> I think that you are absolutely right. It came out of a lot of the discussions that took place at that conference in 2017. Um, how that began, was, uh, I don't, a fever dream. <laughs> Honestly, it was uh, an idea that I had and just could not shake. And one day I went to Christina and I said, hey, I think we should do this conference. If, if we start working on this, will you work with me on it? And um, as she likes to say, uh, she stupidly said yes. <laughs> and then from there, we somehow miraculously wrangled Meredith into working on this with us. And I, it just kind of snowballed into something. I mean, there was a lot of hard work put into making it what it was, um, but there was also just a lot of blank space in my memory because of how much we had to do over that year to, to make that happen. Um, so in the immediate aftermath of that conference, I again had a very <laughs> treacherous idea and I said, hey, why don't we do a book? And um, I think they were both exhausted from the conference and did not have their wits about them and agreed to do that. Um, and I, I think now they lovingly say like, don't ever say yes to any project Jesse asks you about. <laughs> um, but there's, there's some truth in that. Yeah, I like to say that um, Jesse gets both the credit and the blame for this idea. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, I mean, the conference was just such a fantastic experience. There were so many people across the field who were really excited about talking about current problems and where the field is headed. And um, we really got such an outpouring of interest of people who wanted to come and have this really um, focused conversation that summer or spring, um, May, I guess it was. And um, 
afterward, you know, there's just the sense that so many really good questions and topics had been raised and, and so much of that really needed to be addressed and, and brought forward beyond the conference. And I think we were really fortunate. Um, some of the folks who raised those questions at the conference were the right people to write a chapter and to to bring that into the book. And then we also were really fortunate to be able to ask some additional folks who didn't present um, to be able to write on some topics that they had some really good expertise on. So it kind of came together from there. And yeah, snowballed is a really good word for all of that. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, one of the things that I feel like uh, is I hope a takeaway for other people from both the conference and the book, and it's certainly a takeaway for me and one of the things I hope stands out about it is this all kind of came out of, to some extent, I know there are a lot of factors that came out of it, but folklorists like to, I think every academic is one people like to complain about everything that's bad and, you know, everything that's wrong and, you know, well, 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 you know, there are no jobs and things are bad and, and our field is dying and our field has always been dying since our field was created. <laughs> and I think, it came out of a sense of like, oh, so are we just going to sit there and let that happen? Or are we actually going to do something about that? And, you know, the idea of, okay, these problems aren't going to fix themselves. So we can either sit there and let those problems fester, or we can figure out real ways to address this problem. And so I think, at least as I remember it, that was part of Jesse's uh, motivation for the conference. And that what I think was so great about the conference was that people came ready to work and we were warned you know, going in, oh, you know, this is just going to be people sitting around complaining. And we tried to be really deliberate in our call for papers that that wasn't what this was, that this was an opportunity to look at ideas and solutions and, you know, ways to address these problems. And people came ready to do that, which was really encouraging and I think really productive. And uh, yeah, we did. Um, and then, yeah, so we, and I think, and I could be wrong on this. I feel like this, Meredith had a lot to do with this in the planning process, but <laughs> But we did kind of have the idea from the beginning that we wanted, we knew that if we wanted the conference to have a lasting legacy, we needed things to be preserved in some kind of way. And so we did a lot with, you know, recording and things like that. But again, uh, in order to have this have the biggest impact, I think that the publication was the ideal way to do that. And uh, we were really grateful for all of our contributors who, who were willing to put in such great work. Great. Um, so Meredith, when you were saying um, you had the right, some of the right people to present these chapter or to write these chapters, what do you mean by that? Um, you know, it's a, there are so many different ways that these chapters came into the book. Um, for example, we had three really fabulous keynote speakers and um, two of them were willing to turn those keynotes into um, a chapter of some sort, although those, those sort of transformed in the writing process and they aren't those same keynote talks. Um, one of the others, Diane Goldstein was, you know, not interested in publishing in that particular way at that time, um, because I think her, her talk was going in other directions for another publication. Um, but she was, you know, a wonderful supporter and gave us a lot of great feedback. Um, other chapters came almost directly out of sessions. Um, I'm thinking, for example, of maybe 
like Jean Marie Rower Willoughby had a great session where she talked with a few other folks who were thinking about internationalization in the field. Um, but you know, there's there's a phenomenal chapter um, from Phyllis May Machanda. She was not actually on our program, but she attended the conference and gave some really great feedback in some of the sessions. Um, was a very active, um, very active in the discussions, and you know, wrote a chapter for us based on you know some of those comments that she brought up. So there's all these different pieces um, that came together. I mean, there's 15 or 20 some chapters in there. So <laughs> they all have different stories behind them. But it, I think the the wonderful piece was that so many people came with great ideas and the discussions gave rise to these topics that could be followed up on in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I know I was really um, kind of surprised reading the book it in that it does have this very like um very much not a okay we're going to complain about the state of the field it's like a very like it, I feel like most of the chapters have this very kind of like hopeful um empowered to action kind of uh tone which I really appreciated so the chapter that the three of you wrote together about trivialization in folklore. Um, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and why counter trivialization is so important. Yeah, so <laughs> that chapter originally started out as part of the introduction. I don't think that in the early planning stages of the volume, we had thought about um, doing a separate chapter. We thought, you know, it's going to be plenty to edit the entire thing and kind of make sure everything kind of flows how it should from the contributors to the press and everything back and forth. Um, but there came a point when the introduction was some 53 pages, um, which is <laughs> way too, I think it was 19, 20,000 words, because I actually just opened it the other day. Um, and the, the original one. And we decided, all right, we have to change this. Um, and so uh, how are we gonna change that? But before that point, we were trying to think of what is the kind of, how do we envision you know, folkloristics being advanced. Um, and so we would have some late night chats, you know, trying to plan out our chapter and think about other um, stages of the book. And we were writing on a whiteboard and one of the conference rooms in the department. And all of a sudden we, we just kept talking about trivialization. Um, and then we got into this really cool discussion about what work can trivialization do? Um, if we take seriously that part of folklore, which has always been there, um, everyone knows that it's always been there and people have written about that, but if how can we turn that trivialization into something beneficial? Instead of saying that, woe is us because we're trivialized, say, all right, we're trivialized, now what do we do? Um, and it, it kind of morphed into that. And as it was morphing into that, we quickly realized like, this isn't the thing that frames the book because we didn't tell the contributors that was the, to respond to this. And so it, it just seemed, you know, disjointed. And so we took out that part um, and tried to find a, a place for it in the volume because we really liked what we had done with it. And I, I think it works well in the flow of it, um, but you know, I'm very close to that, so. Um. Yeah, I think things, you know, 
as happens hopefully uh, in these projects, like things often don't end up how you intended them to be when they started out, but hopefully they end up good the way that they are. And I think that's what I like to think that's what happened here. Obviously I'm also biased uh, on this thing, but uh, yeah, you know, we had a lot to say on the topic. And I think we look at trivialization both from the angle of our field gets trivialized. People don't take us seriously as a discipline and while we all, I think we all get frustrated by that, we will all always get frustrated by that. There's a limit to how much we can control that. And, uh, you know, I, it's become my go-to answer that people ask me about, you know, not being taken seriously. I'm just, I'm just tired of deciding I care about that, like whatever. <laughs> but uh, we actually, as a discipline, can't be that dismissive of it. We have to figure out how to work from that angle and turn that into a source of strength rather than a source of weakness. But the trivialization also relates to the things that we study. And I think that's where the, for me, the counter trivialization is the most important because the people that we study, the groups that we study, the, uh, you know, forms of folk that we study are also often dismissed. And that can, you know, sometimes that's not that, that consequential. Sometimes it can have some serious detrimental effects for the different communities, especially when you're talking about marginalized communities and uh, this and that. And so I think that as people who understand trivialization, folklorists have a unique ability to act, you know, in this counter-trivializing way. And that it's really important that we do that, both for our discipline and for the, the people that we collaborate with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess, on and you've kind of touched on this a little bit before, but do um, why was why do you think that 2017 and you know now with having the book come out was the right moment to do this future of American folkloristics uh, conference? Like, was there anything about the particular place that the um, the discipline is in, or kind of? Uh, the state of the world in general that you felt like right then was really the time that you needed to do this conference? Well, I, I think in part, as Christina mentioned, like there, there were all of these discussions happening and the ones that I was keyed into most were amongst grad students, mostly at IU. And this online argument discussion of, you know, the viability of the field. And I thought, all right, let's 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 take this seriously. Let's, and like Christina said, instead of just bemoaning the death of it, let's envision something. What is the thing we want this to be and what are the actual steps that we can use to get there? And so part of the impetus for that conference was a few Facebook discussions. Um, and then as we, you know, that took a little over a year to plan out and you know the world had changed and then once we started the idea of the book and getting that going by the time the academic publishing timeline you know uh, takes quite a while the world had changed again so as we were writing the politics of trivialization as we were writing uh, you know the introduction and as our contributors were writing their pieces we were also trying to respond to a new presidency. We were trying to respond to, um, you know, just activism that we saw in the world that we wanted to be a part of in the world that we wanted to highlight in our, sc our scholarship. Um, 
we we're trying to make sense of the discipline, which at least for me is a way of making sense of the world and my own being in the world. And so I, I thought I found it very helpful um, to sit down and envision folkloristics and what it can do because um, that, <laughs> as y'all said, that was a hopeful thing in which I felt not as hopeful about other things. Um, so I kind of poured that into that. So uh, a long way to say that um, I think the motivations and the, um, I don't know, thinking changed along that line because it has been, you know, we started that planning in 2016 um, for the conference. And our idea was when the conference happened in May, 2017, that's it. And I remember the last night we were all like, oh, thank God this is over. None of us had slept for like a week leading up to that. Um, I couldn't even remember my own name. And then flash forward and we're like, let's do this book. And they got that rolling. And uh, yeah, it was just published, but it, it took a while because that's how, you know, publishing <laughs> does take a while, but in, in between, yeah, everything kind of changed. Yeah, we were, I feel really blessed a lot of times, which is that's a cliche word, looking at, when I look through our table of contents, I'm like, how did we get all of these people to do this book with us? Uh, and, you know, it was, you know, just by asking and we, um, you know, we did have some people that we would have loved to have had the book that weren't able to be in, having the book that weren't able to for one reason or another, a lot of people are really, really busy. Uh, but you know, we have a lot of people who have been doing uh, really kind of cutting edge work in the field of folklore for a really long time. And uh, unfortunately, maybe the field wasn't really ready to listen to them. Uh, and that's that's on the field. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we can't change the past. But, you know, Kay Turner has been doing work on uh, queer theory and folklore for a long time. And, you know, I think we're at a moment where there seems to be a lot of energy finally behind talking about this. And hopefully that will, uh, yeah, hopefully our book can be one piece of actually getting people to talk about that. And, you know, Phyllis Mabachunda has been talking about how folklore needs to be doing better at addressing issues of race for a really long time. And I think a lot of disciplines are finally starting to hear that of like, oh yeah, we actually do need to. And so um, as much as I do think that this is a really important moment, I do want to also always acknowledge that a lot of these scholars have been doing this work for a really long time and we didn't invent this <laughs> in any way. Like they were already here doing this work and we're really fortunate that they were willing to let us put a small piece of their work in our book um, and hopefully getting more and more of this out there and getting people to read it and actually pay attention will hopefully make our discipline do things we probably should have been doing 50 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. Not that anyone has been in the field really for that long. I don't want to be aging or getting in trouble. No, I think I think that's absolutely right, though. And it's you know w this book is part of a bigger movement. It's part of a lot of really good things that are happening in our discipline. And you say why this moment? Well, I mean, it, the things that are happening with social justice, the things that have been happening with so many different aspects of society in the last decade all played into I think so many scholars feeling pressed to deal with you know, issues of morality and ethics in the field and what does objectivity mean and how do we address that in an ethical way and I think some of that thinking was behind counter-triviality you know that idea of counter-trivialization is 
not that you take anything that's trivialized and, and work to make it not trivialized, but that you be thoughtful and intentional about thinking about why things are trivialized and thinking about issues of power. And, you know, folklore studies has this tremendous history of, of dealing with trivialized topics. And I think we really wanted to, to bring that into this moment and say, hey, look, you know, look what folklorists are capable of. Um, look what our field can really bring to the table in this way. Yeah, that's really well said. I think it definitely does that. Um, what was, I don't know if maybe you all have um, similar or different uh, responses to this, but what was the most challenging part of getting this book together? That's a great question. <laughs> I think any edited volume, there's always the herding cats aspect and the, uh, the um, getting people to actually get to you the wonderful things that you know that they are working on uh, and getting them to you on a schedule that will actually work with you and the uh, publisher. In addition to that, we were also dealing with schedule things. Yeah. Being between the writers and the press as editors was definitely one of those. <laughs> you understand both sides of it, but you have to kind of press everybody to, to meet those deadlines. I think organizing it was also a challenge. It was. Um, thinking about, because we knew all of these topics belonged together. We had heard all of these voices in conversation together already. Um, but thinking about how to to get it to fit together in a way that made sense to people just coming to the conversation was, um, was an interesting challenge to think about how all of these sometimes disparate ideas really fit together. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with both of those things. It was, I think that there was also a, a difficult part after we had gotten everything together and kind of imagined this was what it was gonna be and Meredith, hit on this of the press would come back and say like no you need to cut this thing or a reviewer would say like this needs to be changed and um to us it was like but no this is you know we're fighting for this thing and there were times when we stuff was just out of our control it was either the decision of the press or it was you know the stylistic or philosophical um, arguments of the author. Um, so, you know, while <laughs> we tried to do as much as we could, it was, yeah, hurting cats. Right. But a really productive well, We way. love all of those cats. We do, much. we do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really a privilege to be the ones hurt, hurting them. Honestly, it was. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, those are some very well-known and illustrious cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So what was, I guess, on the counterpoint to that then, what was kind of the most rewarding part for each of you? Like, did you have any particular moments or, or things that were particularly rewarding? This is going to sound so cheesy, and I'm overly not a cheesy person, I think people <laughs> know, but um, you hear so many horror stories about collaborative scholarship, and we didn't experience those as a group. Like, I think that just like working with Jesse and Meredith throughout this project and having such wonderful co-authors and editors was like, again, when I just pinched myself, like, how did that happen? 
because <laughs> I would love to think that every collaborative experience for the rest of my career will be like that. I don't think it will, um, unless perhaps the three of us decide to be crazy enough to do another project together. But uh, let's let's catch our breaths first. But you know, like I remember the night before Fof, Jesse and I went out to, for ice cream with another one of our friends and he said I can't believe you guys planned a conference together and you're still speaking to each other the day before the conference starts and I was like of course we are like this has been a wonderful experience I don't like <laughs> and you know and there were I think we work really well together and that we have you know we're all folklorists we all speak the same language but we study different geographic areas we study different forms and so I think that we were able to each bring something different to the table and uh, I think we also were really supportive. You know, there are moments where I'm sure they were exasperated with me because I was dealing with the job market and really slow on turning things around. And I'm sure that they were like, oh my goodness, Christina, can you ever like respond to things? I'm like, I'm sorry, just I have five applications due this week and I have to get those in. But they didn't express that. Like they were super patient with me. And I really appreciate that because I'm sure it was frustrating for them. And, you know, I think that just kind of all went around. We all knew that each other was dealing with our own things and we were great about that but I think that we were also able to really bring our disparate uh backgrounds together to really create something that I think was well-rounded and uh we were able to I think personality wise also help balance each other and one of the things I appreciate the most was uh that we didn't pull each other back I think we encouraged each other to go forward I can remember we were working on our chapter there were moments where we were just like, okay, we're going to break this section down and it's going to have this and this and this. Okay, so you go write that part, you go write that part, and you go write that part. And we're just going to kind of free write and we'll, we can edit it later. And I remember like getting a little, what I felt like was maybe overly polemical on one topic. I'm like, okay, we, we can we can bring this down. Like, this is over the top. I know, but it'll be fine. And when we went over it, Jesse and Meredith were like, no, I think that's what needs to be said. So we can say that. It's okay. And you know, as a junior scholar, sometimes it's so scary to say those things that need to be said. And so it's nice to have two other uh, colleagues that'll be like, no, it's okay, we can say that, and, you know, so. I want to echo that you guys were absolutely phenomenal to work with. And I think we were, you know, we were fortunate to have the opportunity to work together on two major projects and have our skills come together in that way. And it's just, you know, so grateful that good collaborators are hard to come by, right? Yes. Um, and I think also, I mean, Christina, you just mentioned, you know, the, the junior scholars aspect, and I feel like that's sometimes the elephant in the room, but I'm going to say it. We all, you know, Jesse's, I feel like Jesse's graduated already because he certainly <laughs> earned his jobs, but you know, Christina and I had, had both just graduated and we're kind of coming at this as being new to the field, we've got our credentials, but we don't know if anybody's going to listen. And I think, you know, in addition to having each other's backs, it was also just incredibly gratifying to have established scholars in the field say, no, you're, you're doing the right thing. Like, no, you're on the right track. You know, thank you for this project. Thank you for bringing these issues forward. And that was, you know, it, it's so easy to feel uncertain about yourself when you're taking on something like this. I think we had a, a lot of people who were concerned maybe about where we were headed with this. And it was really wonderful to develop those relationships with 
people who I now call friends and mentors in the field who said, no, this is, this project is a good thing. Keep going forward and gave us really useful feedback along the way too. I mean, we certainly didn't do this on our own. So, um, it, it, we, we learned from some wonderful people and we certainly had the opportunity to, um, I don't know, stand on the backs of giants, I think is a good phrase for that because they lifted us up as we tried to, you know, lift up issues that really need attention. Yeah, I absolutely agree um, on both of those fronts. I, I don't think any of this would have happened, you know, without that dynamic. Um, and I love that we're still as close or closer after this, you know, going back to that comment, you know, we're still speaking to each other, but we can't wait until we can finally be together and celebrate because we, ha we haven't been together to celebrate, you know, this being finalized yet. I remember when we submitted the final, final proof, um, I, I have a screenshot of us all, you know, cheersing on Zoom because it was you know, we're in COVID times and couldn't meet up. Um, and then, you know, Christina now has her new job and um, trying to do that. But that that dynamic that we had was amazing. Like Christina said, for part of that, I was in a different country, I was doing field work. So we were able to, you know, help each other out um, and get everything done reasonably on time throughout that. Um, I think one of the most gratifying things was going through with that final proof and knowing like seeing the progress of everything. And there were very long nights. There were nights of like, why did we do this to ourselves? This is so much work. And it was all worth it. Like the ideas in there are inspiring. Um, it's phenomenal, like Meredith said, to know that we are in conversation and standing on the backs of these giants, um, that there are esteemed folklorists who say, yeah, thanks for doing this, but also like, great job. Um, and yeah, as a junior scholar, that means so much. Um, but it, it's also just nice to know that this thing is out there. I think all of us talked about, I wish this would have been a book when I took my quals. Like I wish that this thing would have existed when I was in my first year. Um, and so it, it's really nice that that thing is out there now and hopefully some young folklorists can look at it and continue those conversations and um, you know dial into the conversations that are happening within queer folkloristics or you know whatever conversation is there and they can imagine a more equitable folkloristics that they can imagine um, a creative folkloristics that's in conversation with multiple disciplines and isn't the, you know, just those two um, kind of mixed, but something greater than that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I am not saying anything that Christina or Mary didn't just say, but, um, I always like to say thank you both for <laughs> helping, not helping, but like saying yes and, you know, figuring out a way to, to make all of this happen. Because it, it, it was a lot of work for us. It was a lot of work for the contributors, even though, like Christina said, they had been talking about this and writing about these issues for so long. Um, we're asking them to put them in conversation with all of these other chapters in here and to to think of, um, you know, 
what is this? We don't know, we're all trying to figure this out together. What is the future of our field? Yeah, I, um, I definitely remember as y'all were kind of writing this and finishing up, um, putting the conference together and uh, the comment about like, oh, y'all are still friends, like, uh, <laughs> which, yeah, I think that's, that's a really uh, worthwhile point to point out. Like that's, it's no small feat to um, work together in, on two things that are this huge on top of everything else you're already doing. Uh, so that's great. Um, so what, if you had to pick kind of one thing that you hope readers get from um, this book, you know, after reading it, what would that be? I might actually read something. Can I read something? Yeah. <laughs> because this is, I've tried to tell people about this book and it's such a like, meandering thing right it hits a lot of different topics but there's this one piece that we worked on for a while and I, I think this was one of those late night conversations but it ended up in the book and it's actually like on the very first page as a whole folklorists are attentive to issues of power authority and marginalization and folkloristics is a tool for counter trivialization in defining folklore thus we state that we as folklorists will not be shy in advance in advocating for historically marginalized peoples. We will not be quiet when we see the vernacular being trivialized and we will not stand for objectivity glossing for neocolonialism in the, in the academy. In our advocacy efforts, we will help to make space for communities to speak for themselves and we will defer to their decision-making power. I stumble over that a lot, but that to me is just like, that's the piece of this book that I quote when I need people to understand what we're getting at. I agree. I think that that's, you know, a, a good um, point to that. It makes me think like, I kind of see it as returning to the basics of what folkloristics has stated its mission to be. Um, and uh, not, not in some like returning back to ideas of the enlightenment and um, a scientific study of culture, but of, what is the human component? You know, Tim Lloyd says that we're a listening discipline. Um, if we take seriously that and understand um, the positionality that we have, how do we use folklore and folkloristics to democratize the academy? That's why we pulled out Hufford's quote on like folklore, folkloristics has the ability to, you know, democratize academia. Um, if we take seriously these voices that are trivialized by other disciplines, if we say that, um, as Henry Glassie calls them, our teachers in the field, these experts um, that often don't have university credentials, but are philosophers, they're historians, they're, you know, art critics, they're artists. If we start from that position and work um, backwards, we come back to the community of folklorists to academia um, or in anywhere that we work that um, we're promoting these voices, we're documenting these voices, we're archiving them. How do we, how do we do this work justice? That's not an easy thing. It's not a new question. That's um, something that the ethnographic fields have been grappling with for decades now. Um, but I think for me, and in that quote that you just said, Meredith, it, it 
it's going back to what I always thought folkloristics put its mission as, what it had stated its mission was. And I think that, um, I don't know, in, in some ways that had gotten muddied um, and trying to clear out some of the things that were kind of holding us back from being that fully listening discipline, that fully listened to people that historically we had not listened to or that we had tokenized and said, yeah, we study with these people. But um, even through our scholarship and our graduate seminars, our undergrad teaching, we had trivialized their voices um, or the scholarship of those communities. And so a, re a return to basics and envisioning something that was more equitable and uh, more inclusive, not in, not in a just like, let's put everyone in here, but let's reimagine what this thing is. If we start with folklore as, you know, as Lynn McNeil says, informal traditional culture, that is everywhere, everyone has that. Why don't we find everywhere and everyone in the study of folklore? Yeah, I agree with everything that Jesse and Meredith have said. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I have uh, to add to that. And I think you know, I've already touched on this, but I think uh, the like other two bullet points I would put there is that when you see something that needs to be addressed, don't be afraid to speak up and address it. And also that then there has to be a next step after that speaking up. It can't just be acknowledging the problem. After you acknowledge the problem, you have to then say, okay, and, and what can we do to fix that? And, and I wanna be clear just because I think a lot of times in conversations are happening, not just in folklore, but in a broader field, we forget that marginalized people are already taking on a bigger share of the burden, burden on these issues already, like they're already having to work extra hard. So I'm more so talking about the people that are in really privileged positions who are who I often see making the biggest, like loudest, like everything is terrible. And this, like, okay, well, things are terrible and you're in a pretty privileged position. So what are you doing to make it less terrible? And uh, so I think I would like that to be a reminder to everybody that when you do have the ability to do something that, you know, you can speak out, but then also follow through. It has to be more than just words. Yeah, that's super important. And again, I think that's something that comes across really well in the book. It's not, you know, it's pointing out problems and then offering potential ways to rethink them and um, come up with solutions. Also, I did, I meant to reiterate what Jesse was saying about wishing um, that this was a book that existed when we put our crawls list together. That is the main thought I had while I was reading it the whole time. I was like, cool. So if and when, hopefully I have uh, students that I'm helping through quals, like they're not going to have a choice. This is just going to have to be on there because it is, it's, it's, I think a really, um, a nice kind of way, even someone that's trying to like look at the history of folkloristics um, from kind of a different viewpoint. It's a really nice kind of entryway into that. Cool. Well, that is pretty much what I had for y'all in terms of questions. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add or anything you have coming up the pipeline that you're excited about working on that you want to plug real quick. 
one more thing that people could get from this and it I'm, it's kind of a little insight to the something we kept coming back to saying it's okay to blow up the cannon yeah yeah blow up the effing cannon <laughs> i'll try to clean up my language here. um but no you know so much of what we study is already really well inscribed in our field that history is there it's not going away it's there for everybody's reference. It's been written about, it's been addressed. It's okay to blow it all up and look for alternate histories. It's okay to write a future that you feel empowered to bring into life. You know, it's okay for junior scholars to, you know, I, still be respectful, obviously, of your mentors and your elders in the field, but also to really take the reins and make academia and make folklore studies something that you can be proud to be part of whether you're in the academy or not blow it up but then put it back together yeah and i, th I think going off of that um I, I think that there has been voice concern that this is coming from a place of anger or grievance with the discipline like this was always a labor of love for this discipline like we always approached it we know that there is a future here. Um, we have our own personal, you know, imaginations of what that future can and should entail. And um, we, when we scrutinize, when we criticize the discipline, that's not to say we shouldn't be doing this. That's to say, all right, how can we move forward informed by this? How can we do better? Um, because we do love this thing, but I think part of loving it is acknowledging when it has failed. Um, it doesn't help anyone anywhere to say, let's keep doing it just because this is the way that we've done it. Um, we, need, we need to get uncomfortable with the history of what we're doing. We need to get uncomfortable with the projects that we've done and continue to do. And um, we need to be okay in that ambiguous space and that uncomfortable space and learn from that, kind of have that embodied knowledge that we are humans trying to work with and study humans. Um, you know, the, the stuff that we do out there and in our research is necessarily gonna inform who we as a community are. Um, but we love this community. So let's, let's all carry this forward. Yeah, I building on that, I, this is going to be a weird metaphor, but bear with me for just a second. Uh, as most people who know me know that I had a long background in dance from my early childhood. And one of the first things you learn in ballet is that a teacher giving you a correction is not an insult. It's not them telling you that you're not any good. It's them telling you that they believe that you have the capability to be better. So it's actually a compliment when someone takes the time to give you a correction and I think that and I think sometimes because we're such a small field and we always kind of feel a little bit precarious in folklore we feel like well we can't say anything bad because you know that could put us all in danger and like no again it is labor of love there's no one goes into or stays in folklore because of the you know massive riches that we get or something 
in this field. And I'm blessed to have a wonderful job now, but I didn't for a very long time. And I continued to stay in folklore because I love this discipline and because I believe that it can be even better. Um, and because, you know, again, going back to what Meredith was talking about with the canon, the canon wasn't constructed out of a passive process. There were people that were put in the canon or taken out of the canon for all sorts of reasons. And it's kind of empowering to go back through the history of our discipline and figure out that, you know, there were, you know, we had women and people of color and queer people in this discipline from the very beginning. <laughs> and they, you know, have often been left out. And I think it's a joy to be able to celebrate them. And, you know, these people were there and let's talk about this. Um, and, you know, none of those women or people of color or queer people were flawless either. And there's ways to critique them. And, you know, um, yeah, so I think I agree with everything that everybody has said. Yeah, we love this discipline. Uh, and we also want people to be fearless in what they do. And, and a, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> it's such a moment of reckoning for the humanities at large, you know, and for it, it's just so amazing to see folklorists taking on these topics and, and all of these different intersections of marginalized identities. And it's, it, yeah, it's really powerful. And I think, you know, I'm seeing it in ceramics as well. That, we have to cope with these histories. We have to cope with these difficult histories and we have to figure out how to do better. And it's just so, so wonderful to, to know that we have colleagues across the field in academia and in public work and in all of these different genres and all of these different ways of working, um, colleagues that are, are really pushing this forward. And, and that's one of the most powerful things about bringing this book together, I think. And, and I, Think of what Christina had mentioned earlier and just now of like, there were scholars doing this stuff beforehand. This was never meant to be like the final thing with any of this. This is always meant to be the opening sentence of this conversation, of this discussion. Like these chapters read together, um, working off one another is supposed to help every scholar in folklore help, you know, the neighboring disciplines to understand what we could be doing, what we have done, what we hope to do. Um, for the, the new scholars coming in, please take this up and add to it. Um, this is not meant to be a blueprint as much as like the next step. Help us build the staircase. Um, like we, we need, we need to keep this going. Um, but it, it had to fit in a hundred thousand words. It's just advancing. It's not yeah. actually there yet. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even know where there is just yet, I think, but at least we're advancing toward it. Yeah. We are falling forward. <laughs> <laughs>
or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thank you for listening.